0: Amen, All right. the title of the sermon this morning is Eugenics, Depopulation, and Vaccines. Eugenics, Depopulation, and Vaccines. Now this is a very different subject than I would normally preach on, but what I'm going to be doing is piggybacking off of last week's sermon. Now last week I preached about why Christians should not vaccinate, why Christians should not vaccinate, and of course that's posted online on YouTube, and uh, you're going to be able to get all the information biblically on why Christians should not vaccinate. Just a couple of things that people may not be aware of about vaccines is, number one, that vaccines contain aborted fetal cells. Vaccines contain aborted fetal cells. Number two is vaccines contain things that the Bible considers unclean. They contain the, uh, uh, the cells... Of dead animals. The Bible tells us not to touch anything that is dead. We're to stay away from things that are dead. Uh, they contain live and dead or inactive or active you could refer to them as. Viruses. We are supposed to stay away from disease and sickness and viruses. And we're not supposed to shoot this stuff into our body. Uh, Let alone, you know, putting it directly into your uh, uh, bloodstream. And the Bible says don't even touch it. Uh, And then uh, there was a few other reasons of things that are toxic also that would be unclean. Vaccines contain things that are carcinogens, formaldehyde, aluminum. So we went over all of those different things. And at the end of the sermon, I'm really going to tie in with... The, the the subject of vaccinations but the majority of this sermon is going to be about a subject that is known of, of as eugenics it is known as eugenics now many people maybe are are not very familiar with what this actually is so A lot of what the sermon is going to be about is teaching you about eugenics out of the mouths of people that are eugenicists. That's people that believe in eugenics. Now, the definition of eugenics, and I'm going to get into the history of it in just a moment. The definition of eugenics is this, the study of how to arrange reproduction within a human population to increase the the occurrence of heritable characteristics regarded as desirable, Developed largely by Francis Galton as a method of improving the human race. And then it goes further and says this. This is very important. It fell into disfavor only after the perversion of its doctrines by the Nazis. Now, I want you to remember that statement right there. It fell into disfavor only after the perversion of its doctrines by Nazis. Now, I'll explain to you further about, you know, eugenics here in just a few minutes, but one thing that you're probably not aware of is this. Eugenics was an accepted teaching and an accepted philosophy in the early 20th century. So that's the early 1900s. It was openly spoke about. It was publicly discussed. It was held as a view and, you know, uh, public in papers, in books, and it was not something that was, you know, spoken of in the dark or people would, you know, have to talk about this behind closed doors. It was actually something that people accepted and believed. That's why that last statement is found in the definition of eugenics when you just search it on Google. It says, it fell into disfavor. Now, what is that implying? That it was popular prior to That. Prior to the Nazis and prior to what took place in Germany, eugenics was a commonly held belief among many, and this would be of those that are in power, political influence. people that were uh, be considered aristocrats or elites. you know, people of wealth in America publicly spoke about eugenics and believed and accepted the subject of eugenics. So what eugenics is is it is a way to arrange reproduction within a human population. To increase the the occurrence of heritable characteristics regarded as desirable. Now, eugenics in forms has taken place all throughout history. In different types of forms, eugenics has taken place all throughout history. And oftentimes, when it takes place, is it takes place in the form of racism. It takes place in the form of racism. Maybe white on black, maybe black on white... Whatever it may be, uh, sometimes it's even more so isolated where it's within a society and the same race, as we would say, where maybe, you know, uh, the upper class within the white race maybe looks down upon the lower class of the white race. So it can be in different types of forms because what it is basically is it's people that feel as if they are superior. And what they are doing is they are likening, likening it unto their race, ultimately, or their genes. Now, they may say, hey... You know, we may be of the same race as him, we're both white, but they believe that they have superior genes or superior, you know, traits that are hereditary. So that is what eugenics is. I want you to look here at Exodus chapter number one, verse number 15. Mass executions from one race to another has taken place all throughout history. And that's because one race or one people group, feels as if they are superior. Now this, of course, is not biblical. I want you to look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. It says this, And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew wives, of which the name of the one was Shipra, and the name of the other, Puah. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew woman, women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter... Then she shall live. And that tells you in verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men, children alive. So notice that Pharaoh here, uh, you know, the king of Egypt, he is commanding the, the midwives, which were Egyptian women, that when they went in to, to assist the uh, uh, Hebrew women to birth their babies, that if it happened to be a son, you need to kill off that son. But if it's a daughter, you know, just allow the daughter to be born. Now, why is that? It's going to cause this, uh, obviously, this lopsiding of the population, number one. But number two, it's just splitting it right in half. You're cutting the population 50-50. And then also the women, the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the female child children are not going to have anyone to procreate with as well. So... Down the road, it's going to cause a major decrease in the population, isn't it? This is population control. That is exactly what is going on here. This is depopulation taking place in the Bible from one group that feels as if they are superior. They are, right now, they are putting the Hebrews into bondage. That's what's taking place. Why? Why? Because they feel as if they're superior. Now, if you try to dispute that and say, well, I don't think that that's what's going on. You may remember a story with Joseph. Even Joseph, who was second in command. He sat at a different table than the Egyptians when he ate. Why? He, they wanted to be away from the Israelites. They wanted to be away from them for a couple of reasons. Number one, because they were shepherds. But number two, it was because they were Israelites. The Egyptians didn't eat with the Israelites. They stayed away from them. Why? Because they felt as if they were superior. That's the whole reason why they were put into bondage. That's the whole reason why Pharaoh here just felt flippantly that it wasn't a big deal. Just go ahead and just kill off half the population. Just go ahead and just, you know, slay 50% of them. Look at what goes on further. It says in verse number 21, it says, And it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. Now look further, verse 22, Pharaoh's uh, uh, recourse that he goes down. And Pharaoh charged all his people saying, every son that is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. So now since the midwives weren't listening to him, he charged all the people, all of the Egyptians, I want you to, if you find a son of the Hebrews that's born, I want you to take him and throw him into the river. What's he trying to do? It's eugenics. It's eugenics. Now, eugenics doesn't have to be the exact style or form that we see it today or what you've seen it. It has existed throughout history in different forms. It is a way to depopulate a certain people group or a certain class of people. I want to show you this takes place a few different times in the Bible. Go to Esther chapter number three. Mass executions of certain people groups take place in the Bible a a few different times. Esther chapter number three. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Esther chapter number 3. Look with me at verse number 7. It says this, In the first month, that is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast Pur, that is the lot, "...before Haman from day to day and from month to month, to the twelfth month, that is the month Adar. And Haman said unto unto king Ahasuerus, there is a certain people, notice that, scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. And their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them." If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay ten thousand talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it, as it seemeth good to Now I want you to notice that when Haman goes to King Ahasuerus, he tells him, hey, there's a certain people. Now what does that mean in the Bible? You know, the Bible talks about people, nations, and tongues. He's saying, hey, there's this certain group of people or this certain race of people. And then he goes further and he explains basically just this, that it's not good for society to allow these people to live. These people are disruptive to society. These people are not bettering society. These people are not furthering society is what he's explaining. They don't keep your laws. They're troublemakers basically. They don't fit in with society. So you know what his you know, uh, resolution is? His resolution is, hey, let's just get rid of them. Just the mass execution of human life. Just to say, hey, this entire people group, this entire race, let's just exterminate the entire race. Let's just get rid of the entire race. You know what that is? that's eugenics right there that's exactly what that is now eugenics it refers to you know race but it's also referring to within a society people that are just useless they would say to this particular group of people a eugenicist someone that accepts this doctrine this belief they would say hey these this people group or this type of people they're just non-beneficial to us they're just problems right they're just troublemakers, right let's just get rid of this people group so this has existed all throughout history. This is not something brand new today. This is not something that was brand new in the 1920s or 1930s when this really flourished and spread about. It's something that even we can read about in the Bible. Once you go to Matthew chapter number 2, just another example of mass execution that took place. And this, uh, of course, has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Jews were persecuted much all different places where they moved to you know and, and and lived and they were carried about a lot of it had to do with their disobedience but just as a people group or as a race within the bible they were persecuted a lot And there were many times where people tried to kill them all, for they would just flippantly just kill numerous people within the nation of Israel. And here's another time when Herod was trying to uh, make sure that he killed the Messiah, the coming Messiah, after he had received news that the Messiah was born. It says in Matthew chapter number 2, verse number 16, Then Herod, when he had saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth. And sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, that's Jeremiah, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. So I want you to notice at that time that he sent forth, it says, to kill or to slay all the children that were in Bethlehem. In the entire city of Bethlehem, every single child was decreed to be slain. And it says from two years old and under. I mean, that's devastating. From two years old and under. Can you imagine something, just to put it into perspective, taking place now? That if a decree went forth in the city of Jacksonville, that every single child that is of two years old and under is to be slain. That's a form of eugenics. And the reason why it's taking place is because he looks down upon that race or looks down upon that society. Obviously, he is, he's willing to do this because, or he's wanting to do this because he wants to get rid of the Messiah, Right? But do you think that he would do this to his own people group? Of course not. What's the reason why he's doing it? Because he already doesn't regard the life of this race. He already doesn't regard the life of the Jews. The same reason why Ahasuerus and Mordecai were willing to just flippantly say, Okay, get rid of them. Just go ahead and just get rid of them. Now, the term eugenics was first coined... In 1883, by Francis Galton, and I just read that to you a moment ago, that he was the one that it says, uh, 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 developed, it was developed largely by Francis Galton, it says the definition I read to you earlier. So the term eugenics was first coined in 1883 by Francis Galton, father of eugenics. Now listen to this, and cousin of Charles Darwin. Now that obviously is very important. I don't know if you knew that or not, but he's the cousin of Charles Darwin. Now that is of course, I I would assume that everybody knows who Charles Darwin is, but he is the founder of what is known as modern-day evolution, right? The term comes from the Greek roots "eu," that is the "eu" in the in the you know the beginning portion of the word, the prefix, and that means good. uh, uh, And then the 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 last portion of the word "genix" is birth. It refers to like genes is where we get our word genes or generate, you know, to come into being, birth. It says to communicate the idea of being well born, that you are of a good race or you are a a superior race. Now, that's basically the title of. Charles Darwin's first book, it talks about uh, you know, the uh, uh, well-favored races, right? So I'm going to continue reading this to you, it says, the ultimate goal of eugenics was to create a superior race of humans. Many adherents believed in evolution by natural selection, but that natural selection was moving too slowly and favoring the best and eliminating the worst. They also believed that charity in the form of taking care of the poor and sick was prohibiting natural selection. From working properly, and thus the need to interfere, intervene with artificial selection. So that's what they referred to it as. So it's natural selection, as if, and this is, of course, those that believe in evolution, but us as Christians, we reject evolution. They would say that natural selection is how basically, you know, uh, uh, the good, you know, are, are able to persevere and to live. And uh the bad, they die out. That's how nature selects. Now, natural selection is a real scientific thing that takes place, but not in the form of evolution. Evolution is a farce and it's and it's a fake. Natural selection was actually uh founded and invented and, and explained by a Christian uh scientist, by the way. But so they said that what what they needed to do was they needed to intervene. And what they referred to this as is artificial selection. Now, what I'm about to explain to you right now is very important. Artificial selection is eugenics, and it takes place in two forms. This is accomplished through two two types of eugenics. Number one is positive eugenics, and number two is negative eugenics. So positive eugenics and negative eugenics. Positive eugenics focuses on increasing the fit through promoting marriages, right? Right? Marriages among the well-born, those that have, you know, these regarded traits, these regarded heredital traits, hereditary traits, uh, among the well-born and promoting those fit couples to have multiple children. Uh, negative eugenics focuses on decreasing the number of the unfit through prohibiting birth. Now today this would be birth control, sterilization, and then also segregation. Uh, institutionalization of the unfit marriage restriction laws and immigration restriction. So that is basically the two forms of eugenics. Now if you just look throughout history as I said both of these have existed. Both of these have existed. You know uh, uh, the British line uh, that we look at the royal family what are they most well known for? What have they done for centuries and centuries and centuries? They are only permitted to marry within their family. And what is the reason or what is the purpose why? Because they believe that they have superior genes. They believe that their family is superior and it would be and, and if they were to marry outside of their family or outside of their family tree, it would be it would be something that is repulsive to the royal family. Why? Because they look down upon other people, they look down upon other races, they look down upon you know other people within society because they believe that their genes are superior. You know what they believe? They believe that they're well born. They believe in a positive form of eugenics. That is what that is. Now, of course, they believe in a negative form as well. But I'm just just touching on that as well. So that is. The positive form of eugenics, where you are trying to, you know, to manipulate the gene pool because you believe that that certain genes are, you know, uh, uh, more desirable or they're just superior than other genes, so they they, you know, interbreed with one another, you know, to further the natural selection, which would be artificial selection. Now, the negative form of eugenics is where you actually try to, in some way, to decrease the number of the bad genes. We're trying to get rid of those that have bad genes. Get rid of those that have negative genes. You know, they're an inferior race. They're an inferior people group. Now, this right here is totally contrary to what the Bible teaches. This is anti-Bible. This is not something that God... Teaches, this is not something that the Bible teaches, it's anti-Christian and anti-Bible and eugenics, the very theory of eugenics and the teaching of eugenics defies two very basic teachings of scripture. I want you to turn to Acts chapter number 17 verse number 26 and the New Testament. Acts chapter number 17 verse number 26. The Bible doesn't teach that one race is better than another. There is no, no person on this you know, planet that is superior just by reason of their race than another. The Bible also doesn't teach that one class of people or one status is better than another. It's regardless of, of, of what job you have, your status within society, your power, or your political influence. None of those things matter to God. Once want you look with me at Acts chapter number 17, verse number 26. It says this, <clears throat> "...and hath made of one blood all nations of men." For to dwell on all the face of the earth. And have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. I want you to notice what God explains right there. It says, and hath made of one blood. Talking about God. That God made everyone of one blood. All nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth. Galatians chapter number 3 verse number 28 says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So notice that he names off three groups there. I don't know if you've noticed this before, but he says there's neither Jew nor Greek. Now that covers the whole gambit of race. You know, the Greeks is referring to those that are the Gentiles, those that are Greek and Gentile are used interchangeably. Greek is referring to the Greek empire. And everybody outside of the nation of the Jews would be a Greek or would be a Gentile at that time, the time of Christ or the time when Paul was writing. So he's saying the Jews and then everybody else basically. So he's saying there is neither Jew nor Greek. Talking about those that are in Christ. Like that that doesn't matter. That's not of any importance. Then he says this, there is neither bond nor free. Now what is that? That's social classes or social rankings, right? Bond would be someone that is enslaved to another, someone that is indebted to another. It would be the lower class, people that are having to work for someone else, right? Then you have those that are free, that have their freedom. This would be the upper class. So first he speaks of race, then he speaks of our social ranking, then he says this, there is neither male nor female, right? So... He also covers gender. He's saying that that doesn't matter. That's not of importance, whether you're male or female. You know, if you're a female, that doesn't make you better than a male. If you're a male, that doesn't make you better than a female. This is what the Bible teaches. This is biblical teaching or Christianity that neither class within society doesn't make you any better. You know, white-collar job, you know, people are not any better than blue-collar job people. And, the you know, the same goes for male and female, and the same goes for race. Black people aren't any better than white people. White people aren't any better than black people. This is true Christianity. People try to hijack the Bible and try to make the Bible teach. You know, there's all these different racist groups out there. You know, you have the KKK, the Black Hebrew Israelites, all these different groups on every side where they try to make the Bible, you know, force the Bible to teach their racist teaching, or maybe to teach that, hey, the upper class is better than the lower class. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches and God believes and says that he's not a respecter of persons, that all are equal in his sight when it comes to just, you know, who we are and where we're born. Now, what can make us of greater importance in the sight of God is being saved, is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is being a child of God. Now, that does make us of more value uh, in the sight of God. And that's, you know, Red and yellow, black and white. You know that. You know it has nothing to do with anything else other than the fact that you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's actually what this is explaining. It says, "For ye are all one in Christ Jesus." So they would all be one in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says this: For why, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So I want you to notice that the Bible teaches that all men are created equal, that everyone is created equal, and that there is no difference between, you know, your race. There is no difference between male and female. There is no difference between your social class, whether you were born rich, whether you were born free. The Bible puts zero importance on one or the other. Now, our world does not believe and teach that today. I want, I want to go give you a little bit of the history now of eugenics. The history of eugenics as in the past eugenics that has been practiced and some of the things that have been recorded that are, that are very popular. You can go down many different cultures and it's, it's existed in every culture in some form. Uh, History of eugenics. Although many people associate eugenics with the late 1800s and early 1900s, it is an ancient idea that was in practice long before it was called eugenics. The law of the twelve tables, this is in 449 BC, which served as the foundation of Roman law. States, and then there's, I'm not going to try to pronounce this, this big, huge, long uh, 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 Greek statement from the Romans, uh, which means an obviously deformed child must be put to death. Who's heard of this before? So I knew about this, yeah. Um, Uh, Both Plato and Aristotle supported this practice and it was not uncommon for infants to be exposed or left outside the home for a period of time to determine if they were fit enough to survive. The, The Romans wanted only the most fit for their future warriors, I was the way when I had heard of it. I had never read about it or anything like that. But uh, when I had heard about it the first time, was I was in conversation with someone when I was much younger, and we were talking about the movie 300. Now, you know, not to you know uh, get worldly here or anything, but who's seen the movie 300, right? Pretty much everybody in here, well, the movie 300, there's a scene in the movie where they basically do this same thing with the kids, right? They just basically let the kids, you know, fight and they they leave the kids out in the winter. The purpose of that is to, to see how fit they are. And if they're able to survive, then they're worthy to grow up and to be a warrior and to be a soldier. Who remembers when that child goes out and it's like, it's extremely cold, it's in the winter. Does everybody remember that? that's the purpose, that's what that's depicting whether or not this child is is qualified to live and to grow up and to be a a warrior in our society, whether or not he's good enough or strong enough to be a warrior in our society there's another scene in that movie where they they walk out onto a rock and they take a baby and there's all of these different skulls and different body parts all down at the bottom of this mountain, but he walks out onto this rock onto a mountain or a ledge and he takes the baby and I think he actually keeps that particular Baby, I think I can't remember. But basically, what they do at that location is they take the baby out there, all of the babies that they're not going to keep, and they toss the baby off. They that's that was the way in which when they when they selected the babies that they were not going to keep. That's called calling C U L L when you call something out when you get rid of it or cut it out, basically that's what they were doing. They would take that baby and they would just toss that baby off. This was a practice that took place in the Roman Roman Empire, in the Greek Empire, that was Sparta is what that was referred to as there. But this was common. This is eugenics. You know why? Because they thought that some people were superior to others. They They thought that this race or this species or you know this line or these genes or these people are superior to these people. So you know what we need to do? We need to kill them off and keep them. We need to try to weed them out, or call them out, but then we need to try to have all of them breed together, we're going to try to create this monster, you know, uh, uh, just, yes, great race, just, and when I say monster, I'm talking about strong, right, how people say he's a monster, you know, big, these big muscle man type of warriors, the greatest warriors. Plato and Aristotle are both considered to be uh, uh, in the group of the top ten greatest minds that have ever lived. But by the way, they were a bunch of sodomites and perverts. I don't know if you know that. But they were child molesters. And this is written in their own books where they'll talk about molesting children. And these were their pupils, basically. These guys were a bunch of freaks and weirdos, by the way. But both of them supported eugenics, where they believed that that you should kill certain people off and then allow others... To live. So this idea of abortion, this idea of killing a baby when they're young, this idea of trying to cause those that are, you know, considered to be, you know, the regarded, you know, uh, uh, heritage to interbreed, this is not new. Eugenics is not new. This is passed down from other, you know, just just wicked societies and wicked teachings that have taken place in the past. It's not biblical. Number one, we saw that. All men are created equal. God doesn't regard males higher than females or vice versa. God doesn't regard one race higher than the other. And also he doesn't regard one class of people within society as higher than the other. But number two, the the second point that defies the teaching of of eugenics is that life is sacred. And this is something that our world and our country specifically has cast to the side and no one believes any longer. They don't understand this concept. Life is sanctified and life is sacred. What that means is it's set apart. It's very special. Life is sacred. Now I want you to turn now with me to uh, go to Genesis chapter number 1, verse number 26. Now we read just a moment ago from Acts chapter number 17. We read specifically... It was verse number 26. Well, verse 25 says this in Acts chapter 17. In verse number 25, it says this, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. And then it says this, Seeing he giveth to all, notice that, Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. I want you to notice that. That it says that God is the one that gives to all life. God gave the people that are alive today, God is the one that gave them life. That is why life is sacred. You know why? Because the life that you have pumping through your blood, the breath that you breathe, that came directly from the Almighty Supreme Creator. That is what sets our lives apart and makes it a gift. Notice it's given to us. He giveth to all life and breath. And all things. Here in Genesis chapter number 1 verse number 26. I want you to look with me. It says this. And God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the fowl of the air and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Verse 27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. I want you to look over at Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 6. It says this, or verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And it says this, and man became a living soul. That is how life began. That is how life came into this world. And the reason why life is sacred is because it was given to us by God. God is the one that gives life. Matthew chapter number 6 verse number 25 is the Lord speaking about you know living beings, living human beings. And he says this, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than than meat, and the body than raiment. So he's saying don't worry about, you know, these things within your life, right? It says in verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. And he says this, Are ye not much better than they? So he's trying to explain to those that he's speaking to about the value of their own lives. Genesis chapter number 9, verse number 6, ties in with what we just read here in Genesis 1. It's when they got off of the ark, and it says this, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter number 21, verse number 12. Exodus chapter number 21, verse number 12. So notice that, that God put a mandate for the death penalty when they got off of the ark on anyone who would kill a man. Now what was the reason why? It's because of the value of life, the importance of life. He said, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For the, in the image of God made he man. So you know what he was doing? He was speaking about the importance of life. The importance of life because man was made in the image of God. He said that if a man kills or takes the life of another man, because life is so important and life is so special, that's a very high punishment. Now, if you steal something or, or if you commit some crime that is, a, that is a very grievous crime, of course you're going to have a very serious punishment. And that is what God is saying. God is saying that it's so serious to take the life of another human being that you would have to in turn lose your life. You would have to in turn be punished so greatly where you lose your life because why? The importance of our lives comes from the fact that we are made in the image of God. Man is made in the image of God. We'll see this again in Exodus chapter number 21, verse number 12. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall surely be put To death. Now we learn the reason why because Genesis chapter number nine, right? Genesis chapter number nine. Why did God put the death penalty on uh, uh, killing a man or murder, is what we would say? What was the purpose or what was the reason why God did that? He prescribed that. It's because of the great value of man's life and that man, our breath, our being, the fact that we can move around, that we live, our consciousness comes from the very breath of God. That's sacred. That is important. And that's all life. So we need to put these two things together and understand this concept that all life, every living being, whether they be small, you know, as in a child, or whether they be an adult, just the fact that they have life, whether they be black, whether they be white, whether they be poor, or whether they be rich, that's all life. God gave to all, it says in Acts chapter number 17. So we need to understand that all life is valuable. All life is important. Everyone's life. No one is greater than another. It doesn't matter whether you're more successful than another person. It doesn't matter at all. Wherever you are in life, your life is sacred and your life is valuable. Whether you be an adult or whether you be a baby, if you are breathing and you have the, the breath of God and you, have, you, know, you are, are, are a living being, God is the one that gave that to you. God is the one that gave you that life and life is sacred. I want you to... Uh, I want you to, uh, yeah, I'll qu- I'm going to read one other uh, uh, passage of verses to you real quick. And then I'm going to give you some quotes. I'm going to uh, kind of change gears here. And I want to give you some qu- quotes from some influential uh, eugenicists of the early 1900s. So I want to read to you first from Matthew chapter number 18. It says this in verse number 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto them and set him in the midst of them. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. There's a couple things we can learn from that. You know, even there he's saying like, hey, don't despise children. Don't look down upon children. And oftentimes people will do that today. They look down upon children. They look down upon babies. You know, A baby while it's in its mother's womb, they just act like just because it's, it's less developed... That it's of less value. But notice that Jesus, he brings a child over and he says, Hey, you need to take he that you despise, not one of these little ones. But not only that, you see the value of man. He's saying that their angels are in heaven and they behold the face of the Father. Why? Don't despise them because of the fact that their angels are looking down on them and they're in heaven. Now I want to give you some quotes from some influential uh, eugenicists that have lived. Now Eugenesis is one that believes. That's what that I-S-T, that suffix means. It's someone that believes in eugenics. These are some quotes from some influential eugenicists in the early 1900s. Now keep in mind, so I told you to remember that a moment ago <clears throat> when I read the definition, the opening definition of eugenics, that it was a favored doctrine. It was something that people believed and accepted in the early 1900s. And it was very public. And the things that I'm getting ready to read to you were written in books. Some of them were spoken on television. When they, you know, er, when they had their TVs, you know, black and white, you can find some, you know, some uh, uh, clips of, of people you know, speaking about eugenics and how they believed in eugenics and the practices that they should uh, take. So the first quote that I'm going to read to you is uh, from Francis Galton, who was the founder of modern-day eugenics. It says this, The aim of eugenics is to represent each class or sect by its best specimens. That done to leave them to work out their common civilization in their own way. So that's eugenics, its definition, scope, and aims. That's what book that was taken from in 1904. The way of nature has always been to slay the hindmost and there is still no other way. Unless we can prevent those who would become the hindmost from being born. And did you notice that? He said the way of nature has always been to slay the hindmost. It's saying the ones in the back. The ones that, so he's, notice how he's assembling or he's laying out the importance of one people group than others. And he's saying the way of nature, right? The way, the way of the world has always been to slay the hindmost. To get rid of those that are in the back. Those that are at the bottom. And there is still no other way. Saying we have to do that now too, as well, unless we can prevent those who would become the hindmost from being born. So, what's their goal? Is to stop them from being being born in the first place. Now, notice how this is based on the philosophy of evolution, because he's saying, "Hey, this is the way it works in all nature. Of course, we have to do it the same way. Why?" Because you know, people that believe in evolution, they believe that, that human beings are truly animals. We're just the highly evolved animals. So we should operate and live our lives the same way that they do. The same way that the animal kingdom operates and lives their lives. Now, that, of course, and I can't preach a whole sermon also about evolution, but that is is defied by you know, the Bible and by, you know, the teaching of Christianity. That God made man to have dominion over the animals. God made man in His image, and animals are not made in God's image. You know, animals are here to be used and to be, you know, as resources, you know, uh, horses, you know, for example, to be ridden and things along that those lines. Uh, that is the biblical teaching on that subject. But it says... Um, it is in the sterilization of failures and not in the selection of successes for breeding that the possibility of an improvement of the human stock lies. Uh, and that was by H.G. Wells. Uh, here's a quote from Margaret Sanger, The Pivot of Civilization, 1922. Every single case of inherited defect, every malformed child, every cogenitally cogenitally tainted human being brought into this world is of infinite importance to that poor individual. But it is of scarcely less importance to the, rest of us, uh, to the rest of us and to all of our children who must pay in one way or another for these biological and racial mistakes. Did you hear that? I mean, that is a strong, strong statement coming out of the mouth of Margaret Sanger. I'm going to get to who Margaret Sanger is and kind of home in on her for a moment, but I'm going to reread this quote one more time and then I have one other quote. Pay close attention. Every single case of an inherited defect, every malformed child, every cogenitally tainted human being brought into this world is of infinite importance to that poor individual. So yeah, they're important to themselves, but listen to this but is but is of scarcely less importance to the rest of us and to all of our children who must pay in one way or another for these biological and racial mistakes these people that are walking around whether they be of another race notice racial mistakes or also whether they have some sort of you know defect a malformed child maybe a child that's missing a limb maybe a child that was you know uh, unfortunately was you know maybe didn't have a leg Maybe it just has some sort of malformation that they can't help, but something took place in their life where they have some, they're born with some sort of, you know, defect in their life, whatever it may be. Maybe it's just a medical, an internal medical problem of lungs or whatever it may be, you know, uh, uh, but it says that these biological and racial mistakes, she's saying it never should have happened. These people shouldn't even exist. That's Margaret Sanger. And that was taken from the book, The Pivot of Civilization. Now, I'm going to read this next quote from you. It says this, And it is, it is better for all the world if instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for crime, or to let them starve for their uh, um, you know, stupidity, society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind three generations of imbeciles are enough. Did you notice what he just said? He's saying that it's better if the world just stops them from coming into existence or gets rid of them early on than to have to wait and to get rid of them later when they commit a crime. He's saying, and then he says, three generations of imbeciles, it's like a stupid person, is enough. Saying, let's just... just Cut it, you know, nip it in the bud. Let's just get rid of this whole entire race or this whole entire, you know, uh, uh, um, basically, you know, species from their perspective, right? That was taken from the U.S. Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. in a in a case. This was actually quoted in a case. Buck versus Bell in 1927. Now I, ho- I read that one last because I want you to realize how open and how public all of this was how popular eugenics took place Now it only took place in the 1920s and then just it basically dwindled out in the 1930s where people no longer spoke this way. but it's very obvious that because of you know evolution, you know, and people did this prior, but that was basically what you know, uh, people based their philosophy on at that time. People really accepted this idea of eugenics. And everyone pretty much believed in it, especially those of the higher classes. The elites, the aristocrats. You know, these people that believe that they're better than the rest of the world and that they, because of their gene pool. Now, this is major. This is really believed and accepted by people today. They believe that they have the the superior traits that you don't have. They believe that they are superior to you because they just have better genes than you. And that there are certain people that actually hinder society. And if you were able to get rid of those people, you know, we could create a utopia Like a perfect society with just all aristocrats, with just this superior great race. Now, this was obviously the concept of the official story. You know, uh, if you believe the, you know, precisely the official story of what took place in Germany, you know, that's what they say that he was trying to do. Adolf Hitler was trying to get rid of, you know, those that were inferior, like the Jews, right? And he was trying to build this superior race. Right. That's what they all say that, w- that was going on there. There was a form of eugenics, and because of that, they say that that's why eugenics became derogatory later on. That's what they, they claim. Now, what I'm going to get into right now is extremely important. This is a third point, and this ties in together with everything that we spoke about. Whether you know this or whether you you do not, this is a fact. Abortion, the modern day system of abortion is a eugenics based system. It is a eugenics based system. The po- abortion came about and sprung about because of a person that believed in the philosophy of. Eugenics. They believed that there were certain people in the United States of America that should be exterminated. Certain people that should be, you know, just depleted or just completely taken from society and executed or exterminated. Now, the way in which I know that is because of the founder of Abortion, or I'm, yeah, well, the founder of abortion, but specifically, who is it that that's the tool of abortion? It'd be Planned Parenthood. That is the institution that, you know, uh, uh, executes, it's like 99 point something percent of the abortions that take place in the United States of America. It's, a, it's, a, it's an overwhelming number of the abortions that take place in the United States of America, take place at the hands, <coughs> excuse me, of the institution which is known as Planned Parenthood. Now, <clears throat> Planned Parenthood was originally known in its inception as the Birth Control Federation of America. That was the name of Planned Parenthood when it was created. It was, it was called the Birth Control Federation of America. The founder of Planned Parenthood or the Birth Control Federation of America is Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger is her name. Now, a moment ago, I read a quote from you. The most, really, the most caustic quote of all of them came from Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger was was a very, very evil, evil, wicked, wicked woman. Now, I want you to go uh, to Jeremiah chapter number one, verse number five, while I read a few of these first quotes to you. Uh, Jeremiah chapter number one is where we're going to read our next verse. Now, number one, when it comes to abortion, we're against abortion because we are pro-life. We believe in that life is sanctified, that it is sacred, that and that... Not only that, but that all life is sacred. Amen. Not just not just a superior race, not just a certain class of people, not just a certain society or people that have certain genes, all life. I will stand up here and I will tell you that I would protect any life from an abortion. I don't care if it's a black child, a white child, a red child. I don't care if I don't care how deformed, I don't care what problems that they have. The Bible teaches that life is sacred. The Bible teaches that life is important that it comes from God and that God gives us our being. And it's that it's a gift from God. And we should cherish life. We should cherish life. We should look at life as Christians as being precious. We should look at life as being a gift from the Lord. Now, the Bible also teaches that life begins at conception. The Bible doesn't teach that it begins at four weeks gestation, six weeks gestation. The Bible teaches that life begins at conception. I've demonstrated this from the Bible before, and you can do that by comparing the book of Hebrews and uh, Genesis. You can also do that by looking at the book of Isaiah. This is an example. The book of Isaiah, and it's the Messianic uh, 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 verse, where it talks about how a, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child. Well, it also says in the... Uh, uh, um, in, the, uh, in Isaiah, I can't remember which is which, but one tells you that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and then the other says that a, bir- a virgin shall conceive and bear a child. But either way, you know what it teaches is that at the moment of conception, what a woman has is a child. What a woman has is a son. that's at the moment of conception. It, it says that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So when you conceive what's going to take place, you're going to have a child, you're going to have a son. It's not you know just a glob of you know a, a bacteria, like people will say. No, it's life. it's living. It has being, it's moving. If, you know, and, and if we were to look at. Any area of science, everyone would agree that what is taking place inside of the womb of a woman is living. When they try to find, what are they looking for in order to say that there's life on Mars? All they want to find is just bacteria. All they want to find is anything at all that has cells that's moving, that's alive, right? But that, and, even, and much more than that, is inside of a woman at the moment of conception immediately. It's multiplying, the cells are multiplying and growing, but they say, oh, it's, it's not life. It's not living. And they try to redefine it. Oh, well, it's just a fetus. The word fetus means baby in Latin. That's what the word fetus means. So you're saying, oh, you can kill a fetus, but you can't kill a baby. You're an idiot. Right. Yeah, you're saying you can kill a baby, but you can't kill a baby. You just don't know Latin. That's what you're saying right now. You know, the, the, the Bible teaches that life begins at conception. So if you, if you believe that you can... You know, terminate a baby or a fetus, whatever you want to call it, while it's in its mother's womb, then you're a murderer. That's what you are. If you're taking the life of a being, living being, then you are a murderer. And the Bible, obviously, for those people, would prescribe the death penalty because of the value of that life. Now, I would defend the right for that baby to live in any situation. In any case, it doesn't matter what it is. As I said, it doesn't matter the race. It doesn't matter the deformality. Where do we draw the line? This is where you get this problem. It becomes so objective. Where do you draw the line of who gets to live and who doesn't? Who decides? Who's the one that decides? What color hair do you have to have? What color eyes do you have to have? How bad of a a deformity do we go ahead and just get rid of them? You know, what if they have one finger missing, right? Should we get rid of that? That child? Now, you know, one finger's fine, but two, you know, two fingers, you know that's, that's too much. I have asthma. I was born with asthma. Is that too much where you should put me to death? I mean, where do we draw this line? Where do you say that this child over here is too inferior, but this child over here has the, a good enough genes where we can allow that? Do you know who wants to draw the line? The people in power. The people who are signing the pen, right? That have the pen in their hand. They're the ones, the ones that are, that are writing the laws and passing the laws. Those that are, and it's not, you know, people that are passing the laws, are just, they're just passing whatever laws they're being paid to pass, is what's going on there. But those that are able to dictate these decisions, well, of course, it's their children that will get to live. It's their children that are superior. Do you know what it is? Our kids, those of inferior races, right? Those of inferior genes. Our children are the ones that should be terminated. Isn't that a coincidence? Isn't that kind of ironic? Now, I want to give you some quotes directly from Margaret Sanger. So you get inside the mind of Margaret Sanger, then you can realize why she wanted to prevent certain people from reproducing. Here are some quotes from Margaret Sanger. This is the founder of what is known as Planned Parenthood. In a letter to Clarence Gable in 1939, Sanger wrote this. We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. I mean, can you get any more blatant and clear than that? We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. That was from Margaret Sanger commenting on what she referred to as the Negro Pop Project in a letter to Gamble. And that was Clarence Gamble in December 10, 1939. Her own words and television appearances leave no room for parsing. For example, she wrote many articles about eugenics in the journal she founded in 1917, the Birth Control Review. Now remember... Planned Parenthood was originally founded by Margaret Sanger as the Birth Control Federation of America, right? So this is what she wrote in her book called The Birth Control Review. Her articles included some moral aspects of eugenics, 1920, and then it goes through a couple of books. But she said this, While I personally believe in the sterilization of the feeble-minded, it's weak-minded, people that are stupid, the insane, I have not been able to discover that these measures are more than superficial deterrents. ...when applied to the constantly growing stream of the unfit. They are excellent means of meeting a certain phase of the situation. But I believe in regard to these... ...as in regard to other eugenic means... ...she even uses the term... ...that they do not go to the bottom of the matter. So she's saying, you know, what we're doing... ...as far as the birth control federation of America... ...in sterilization and causing, you know, women to be infertile... ...you know, it's great, it's a good start... But it's not really getting to the bottom of the matter. It's not enough. That's her point. To get rid of those that are the unfit of society. And you can tell that she has a deep, deep, dark soul in her writing. You can tell this woman has you know, a deep, deep hatred. I never looked up if she was married or not, but I would highly doubt it. Eugenics without birth control seems to us a house builded upon the sands. It is at the mercy of the rising stream of the unfit. Do you notice that? Keep noticing birth control over and over again being brought up. What was, what was Planned Parenthood? The Birth Control Federation of America. And she's coupling a couple of phrases together. Eugenics, without birth control, seems to us a house built upon the sand. So you know what that means? That the purpose of birth control is what? Eugenics. That's the purpose of birth control, is eugenics. The purpose of the Birth Control Federation of America is eugenics. It's to kill off a certain group of people so that the other group of people are able to flourish and then they can interbreed with one another and create a superior race. Get rid of the unfit so that the fit can flourish, as she put it. That was from birth control and racial betterment. Birth control and racial racial betterment was the chapter, and that was also found in the birth control review. Listen to this. This came from uh, Woman and the New Race, 1920, chapter 6. She said this, stop our national habit of human waste. Stop our national habit of human waste. You know what she's talking about? Reproducing. Reproducing. She's talking about just the common man. She's talking about the lower classes, the poor, black races. It didn't just limit itself with the Negro population. She was an extreme racist like all eugenics, eugenicists are. But she also looked down upon those within the white race that were at the bottom of the barrel, those that were the downtrodden and you know were down on their luck, we would say. Women in the New Race, 1920, also in Chapter 7, she said this, By all means, there should be no children when either mother or father suffers from such diseases as tuberculosis, gonorrhea, syphilis, cancer, epilepsy, insanity, drunkenness, and mental disorders. In the case of the mother, heart disease, kidney trouble, and pelvic deformities are also a serious bar to childbearing. No more children should be born when the parents, though healthy themselves, find that their children are physically or mentally defective. A plan for peace. Notice how I said they want to create a utopian society. Says this in 1932, she wrote, a plan for peace. The main objects of the population Congress would be to apply a stern and rigid policy of sterilization and segregation to that grade of population whose progeny, that's their children, is tainted or whose inheritance is such that objectionable traits may be transmitted to the offspring. To give certain dysgenic groups in our population their choice of segregation or sterilization. So she's saying like these trash people, let's try to present to them this option, you know, where they are able to just get rid of their children. So I'm sure she think she was telling that. To to the people that she's going to, when when she's offering them birth control, you're a human waste. I don't want you to, you know, procreate. Here's your birth control. Now, if you look at where Planned Parenthoods are all set up, you know, in the United States of America, do you know where, like, the vast majority of them are located? Inner cities. Negro populations. You think that's a coincidence that the founder of Planned Parenthood, the founder of Planned Parenthood said that our purpose, publicly stated, our purpose is to exterminate the Negro populations. And then we look around at the United States of America and within the Negro population, within where blacks, high amounts of blacks live, what's there? Planned Parenthood. On every stinking corner, you look and you see how, what's the mass numbers of you know, African Americans that take place in abortion, they are the majority. While we are, you know, white people that is, would be the majority and, and just, you know, uh, anyone other than, if you were to look at the groups of people in the United States of America today and the populations and the race, obviously the African Americans make up a vast m- uh, minority when you include every other race and then white Americans. They're definitely the minority, but they make up the majority of abortions that take place in the United States. You think that's a coincidence? I'm reading from the, from the mouth of the founder. Of Planned Parenthood, or should I say the Federation of Birth Control? What's her purpose? What is the founder's purpose? And if you're curious about something, you know, you always go back and see why did the founder create something? Why the purpose, that the, the person that made this, that invented whatever such item, whatever fu- such institution, go back to the, to the person that that dreamed it up. That it's their brainchild. And see why, what were they thinking when they made it the way that they made it. Right? Isn't that important? You know why you open up the instructions of something? You want to figure out how it's made from the mind of the person that made it. And how to put it together. And what's the purpose. And you read about it and they tell you why they made it. And then you'll find out, oh, this is how it works. This is what its purpose is. Right? It, that's a simple concept. You know, an, uh, an example of this would be, and this may be offensive to a lot of people, but the miniskirt. You know, uh, I heard a sermon by Jack Hiles one time where he preached a sermon entitled, The Miniskirt in Light of the Bible. And, you know, there's language that this woman speaks that I would not even say behind the pulpit of why she made uh, the miniskirt. And it's basically so that a woman can be, you know, taken advantage of and can be, you know, ready to commit horrible acts at any moment. Like, out of her own mouth! And then you have Christian women that say, yeah, it's okay to wear a miniskirt. Like, do you know why that was made? You know the whole purpose why it was made? That's important to know, don't you think? You know why Planned Parenthood exists today? Depopulation. To get rid of the black race. That's why it exists. That's what the founder said. In 1957, in an interview with Mike Wallace, Sanger revealed, that's Margaret Sanger, I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world. That have disease from their parents. That have no chance in the world to be a human being practically. Being, being practically uh, I'm sorry, a human being practically. I was using being in a different way. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just marked when they are born. That to me is the greatest sin. You know what her problem is? She's just this pompous, wicked, evil person that thinks that she's just better than everybody else. Do you know what's the problem with everyone that believes and tries to practice eugenics? Same exact thing. They just believe that they're superior and they're so great and that the world would be better off if it was just a bunch of them. So you you can just clone me and just think of how evil that is. Just clone me, allow me just to continually reproduce and have all of my children and then let's just exterminate everybody else. I mean, how sadistically weird can you possibly get... That is a demented mind. That is weird and sick. That is the way that these people think and believe. People that subscribe to eugenics, they never think like I should be killed. You ever heard anybody say like, I believe in eugenics and probably just exterminate me and all my family and all my children. No. They always believe like they're the favored race. Like they're the favored you know group of people with the best genes. And they should continue and repopulate the world. But everybody else, they're just human waste. We need to get rid of everybody else. It, she's a very demented person. Now I want to end with this. So these things, keep in mind, these things were spoken publicly. Right? Everybody believed and, 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 and spoke these things publicly. But you notice in the very definition of eugenics, it said this was a word that was used, accepted, spoken about, believed by many. But then after the, you know, everything that took place with the Nazis, it kind of became a derogatory term. Now do you think that Margaret Sanger after World War II just stopped believing that? She's like, wow, that was really bad what went on over there. Maybe I was wrong. No. You think all the people that subscribe to these things just stop believing it just because they stop talking about it? No. There's people that are eugenicists that live, you know, in the world today, but they just don't say, hey, I'm a eugenicist. They don't just say, hey, I believe in eugenics. Why? Because, like it says in the very definition, it's looked down upon. It's not accepted any longer. It's not spoken about. People won't just go and talk about this any longer, but it takes place in other forms. You just don't know about it. One of the ways is abortion, where they just try to kill off. And what do they try to do when you go in? What's the purpose for ultrasounds? Oftentimes, let's find out if it has any deformities. And they'll even ask, you know, well, what do you want to do with it? You know, we, you know, it's possibly autistic. It's possibly has a deformity. What? What do you want to do here? What do you mean, what do I want to do? I want to love it and take care of it and give it special attention. I'm not going to kill it. What makes your life because you have two hands more valuable than their life? It's sick. It's disgusting. You know, I remember when we were having our second child, which is a long time ago, Elijah. And they actually told us what was the some sort of problem that they thought that he had? When we, we had some sort of counseling after we had our ultrasound, and they're like, yes, there's, you know, there's very high probability of this. What would you like us to do? And my little response, not even being a smart aleck, was like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, we have other options, you know. And she didn't want to say it because she saw that that, you know, from my, you know, I didn't even think that that was an option. That was the point. And then it dawned on me what she meant. It's like, you are a disgusting freak. Are you saying do I want to kill my son because he has some sort of deformity? Where would you draw the line, lady? You tell me what I should do. They end up being wrong about this garbage anyways half the time, these, these stupid claims, because these doctors are idiots half the time. You trust in modern medicine and doctors, you, they will lead you astray. They'll be having you smoke cigarettes and saying it's good for your health, as I showed you last week in the 1950s. They're morons and they're, they're basically a lot of their decisions that are made are because they're lying in their pocketbook. Somebody else is paying them to say something. You know, but that's what, that's what abortion is for today. They, that, those are the reasons why they say, hey, do you want male or female? What did the Bible say? In Christ, there is neither male nor female. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't even see that. But people will base, literally, their decision on whether they want to keep their child or kill their child, on whether it's a male. I want a boy. I don't want a girl. I don't want, I don't want a girl. I just want to get rid of it. How? It really is. The best way to describe it is sick. You are disgusting. Or it has this slight deformity. How horrible. That's why abortion exists today. Why? To get rid of the weak. To get rid of the feeble-minded, as Margaret Sanger said. To get rid of the the unfit for society, as she says. Right? Over and over again, the unfit. You know where that phrase comes from? Charles Darwin. And you know where the whole idea of eugenics came from? His cousin, Francis Galton. Which a lot of people have no idea about that. That's where eugenics actually came from. You know why? Because it was based on Charles Darwin's teachings of evolution. We need to get rid of the unfit so we can allow the fit to flourish. (laughs) There's also euthanasia. Which my wife was taught euthanasia when she went to school. By By the actual terms euthanasia. That's where they just allow people to... They actually try to speed the process up. They like overdose you on medicine... Pretty much, they just keep, and they give it to you. One of the ways in which I experienced this and didn't know exactly what was going on, what, one of the ways that they'll make sure that they give it to you that way is they'll give it to you uh, uh, rectally, because you have more blood vessels in that part of your body than anywhere else, and it soaks into your bloodstream. So they just keep pumping you full of like high doses of very strong, normally codone based uh, uh, painkillers. And then you know what happens after that? You go into a coma. Which actually, all of this step by step happened to a family member of mine. Because you know why? He was on hospice. Do you know what the purpose of hospice was according to what my wife was taught in nursing school? Exactly. Get rid of him. Bill Gates. And I showed this to Brother Rick just recently. Bill Gates in one of his discussions that he was having at a school... Was actually entertaining the idea, then he tried to backpedal later by just saying, you know, but we shouldn't talk about this publicly. Basically, it's eugenics. He, he was entertaining the idea to a college audience of how we could better the education for college kids by investing more money. But then he, of course, you know, said, where are we going to get the money? We got to get it from somewhere. He said, a, 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 a possible option that people have, you know, brought up is this. There are many people that are going to die, you know, in the next, you know, five years or so anyways. Maybe three months or whatever. Well, I can't remember the exact, you know, how he worded it. You know, there are people that are on their deathbeds, basically. And we could, you know, lengthen their lives by, you know, doing what we could by giving them, you know, some of the, uh, of the benefits of, you know, hospitals and things today. Right? And we could prolong their lives for a period of time. And we could spend $3 million, $6 million on, you know, on doing that for a certain amount of people. Or we could just, you know, kind of put our hands back, put our hands up and walk away and just let kind of nature run its course, he said. And then take that money and invest that into a child's education instead. He's like, but you're not really supposed to talk about those things in public. And kind of laughed it off. Well, I'll tell you why Bill Gates made that statement. is because Bill Gates is truly... A eugenicist. Bill Gates is a eugenicist. He believes in the teaching of eugenics. Now, Bill Gates is really Bill Gates Jr. Did anybody know that? Bill Gates Jr., He was raised in the Seattle area. His father's name is evidently Bill Gates Sr. Uh, He was very successful. That's his father I'm speaking of. He was the ideal example really of like an an aristocrat or of an upper class elite. He was the, the chairman and the head of multiple, multiple different institutions. In the 1920s, Bill Gates Sr. was the head of Planned Parenthood which was not called Planned Parenthood at that time. It was the Birth Control Federation of America. That was in the 1920s in Seattle, Washington. Now, that was when its true purpose, and and it was openly known and taught that the real purpose by the founder was what? Eugenics. That was the purpose of the Birth Control Federation of America. That's what Margaret Sanger said that it was. The purpose was eugenics. We want to... We want to exterminate the Negro population and those that are unfit so that the fit are able to flourish. You know, Bill Gates did not come from the gutter and build his own life into this magnificent... Now, he's the richest man in the world and he was successful in a few ways. And there's people that say that he ripped people off and stuff like that. and All different types of reasonings of how he got to where he is. But either way, he was born to a well-born or well-to-do family. It makes, it, it makes perfect sense that his father were, would, to, would buy into the teachings of eugenics also. And he did. The guy that preceded uh, Bill Gates Sr. in the Birth Control Federation of America, the head of it, was also the head of a local society in Seattle called the Eugenics Society of Seattle. So if you look at the people that were the heads of these societies birth control federation of America and other societies where do they come from what do they believe in eugenics they believe in killing certain people off and allowing other people to flourish the fit to grow the positive and negative aspects of eugenics that's what they believed in what did Margaret Sanger say the whole purpose of the birth control federation of America was eugenics you can't have birth control you can't have eugenics without birth control she said She was probably the most outspoken person of eugenics. There was even a a statement from a man. I I believe it might have been the same guy that I read that from earlier. I could be wrong about that. H.G. Wells, where he came on camera. This is the one that I saw. as black and white. He came on camera and he said that he wishes that we could propose and pass a law where everyone, every five to seven years, would have to come to an appointed court and an appointed judge. And they would basically have to, you know, uh, uh, satisfy the judge with why they should exist. They would have to give a reason for their existence. And, you know, why they believed that they should exist. These were the types of things that were coming on television at that time. Do you know what Bill Gates Sr. was? He was a eugenics. Eugenicist. He believed in eugenics. And do you know what Bill Gates Jr. is? He's a eugenicist. He believes in terminating certain points of the population, certain sections of the population. Here's a quote, and I read this one other time. Bill Gates said this, The world today has 6.8 billion people. That's heading up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, and reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. And that was spoken by Bill Gates just like five years ago. You've probably heard this statement before, but truly, this is is real. The truth is stranger than fiction oftentimes. Bill Gates believes just like his father does. and There's also an interview where Bill Gates Jr. says that his father was his biggest influence in his life. That that is who had the most influence on him in his life. Bill Gates truly and really believes just like Margaret Sanger did. You know what? He just can't talk about it openly any longer. This philosophy of eugenics is a doctrine of devils. It is as wicked and as evil and as dark as could possibly be. And it's anti-Bible. And we as Christians, it should be, you know, I shouldn't even have to say this, but we should reject every aspect of it and we should fight against it. And if people try to ever say that or teach such a thing around us, we should rebuke it for what it is. It's evil. It's totally contrary to the Bible in all cases. Many times the great men of the Bible and of God came from the gutter. They would have been considered the unfit. And then they you know, grew up and became a great man of God. If you look at Jesus' life, the people that he spent his time around, they were oftentimes those that would be considered the lower class, weren't they? Look at his disciples. They were fishermen. There was a tax man. I mean, all of the people that he was around, he spent his time around, you know, even the, the Pharisees noticed this, and, and, they, and they said something about it on multiple occasions, about him being around the publicans and sinners. He's saying, why are you spending all your time around the lower class if you're such this great teacher? Why are you around all these people that are of, of little to no value? They're unfit. That's an anti-biblical type of mindset. All are equal when it comes to that. The only thing that can set you apart is being a child of God. That is actually the superior race, is being the Israel of God, the spiritual Israel, where you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. See the people that Jesus healed? That's the attitude that we should have. We shouldn't go out and we're going out soul winning or however we're living our lives. We shouldn't look at certain groups of people, whether they be poor, whether they be black, whether they be red, whatever, Asian shouldn't look down upon those people and think like you're of less value than this person or of I am. We should never have such an attitude. It's evil and this philosophy of eugenics is evil. And you know what? The vaccines that Bill Gates is pushing, isn't it funny that many of the side effects of these you know, other ingredients that are added into the vac- vaccines cause uh, uh, infertility, you think that's a stinking coincidence? If you look them up on the material safety data sheet, a bunch of the side effects are infertility. And in India, they're raising a big stink about that. I don't know if you know about that. Where all, none of the women are, they're like, we're not able to reproduce, we don't know what's going on. Ever since Bill Gates came in with his vaccine. And they're calling him out on it. I heard they're trying to sue him and things like that. You know, there, there is a real agenda of the those that are the, the, in power, the aristocrats and the elites of this world. It's really going on. This isn't some tinfoil conspiracy theory. There are real people that believe that you're unfit and they want to get rid of you. They believe the world would be better without you and without your children. And we need to open our eyes to it. And we need to rebuke it for what it is. It's wicked. It's anti-Bible. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We, we're thankful that we have a God that is not a respecter of persons. Uh, we, we ask that you would uh, uh, please teach us from your word. That we'd have the right and guide us with your Holy Spirit. That we'd have the right heart in all areas of our life dear Lord. Where we would we would look at, at all people groups of, of whatever uh, differences that we have as being equal, dear Lord, and being important. And we go out so wanting to help us to care for everyone and to try to spread the gospel to everyone, to want everyone to, to hear the word of God. We love you so much and just be with us and, uh, and help us not to go with the, the doctrines of the world, dear Lord, and protect us from those evil people that would like to do us harm and our children. We love you and in Jesus Christ's name, amen.